0: Hello and welcome to The Flow, a podcast created by Taboo Period Products, a social enterprise that sells organic cotton products with all profits and advocacy efforts dedicated to ending period poverty. My name's Ophelia and each week I'll be in your ears with one of our Taboo co-founders chatting about the topics that Taboo cares about most, health, well-being, gender equality, and of course, periods. So let's get into The Flow.
1: And before we get into the rest of this podcast, we need to flag that today we we will be discussing some heavy topics, which may be triggering for some listeners. These include sexual assault, child grooming and disordered eating. We will leave some resources in our show notes in case any of our listeners need to reach out for help.
0: So today I'm joined by Izzy for a very exciting podcast. We are chatting to Australian of the Year, Grace Tame. Uh, If you don't recognize this name, then you've been living under a rock. As I said, she was awarded 2021 Australian of the Year for her advocacy efforts for survivors of sexual assault. She was also named by Time Magazine as a Next Generation Leader for 2021.
1: There are plenty of interviews already out there about Grace's personal story, but today we want to focus more on what she's advocating for, her relationship with her period, the corrupt culture we are living in, but also the power of love to oppose it.
0: Now this episode was recorded while South Australia was in lockdown. So both Izzy and Grace are chatting over Zoom today. Uh, That's why my audio is quite good and the other ones might be a bit in and out. But towards the end of the episode, you might hear Grace uh, making breakfast, a couple of kitchen noises. Um, So we got to chatting for a while and all got a bit hungry. So just enjoy this super candid, relaxed conversation in Grace's kitchen. Before we get into the rest of the podcast, I have to start with our Usual question, Izzy, what season are you in?
1: Uh, I am in late autumn. Uh,
0: so for our new listeners, this means that I
1: am about to start my period, our period being winter. Um, yeah, so I guess I'm feeling pretty exhausted, but that may be because I just spent the entire night in a lion waiting for a COVID swab. Uh, So I can't blame that purely on my hormones. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we recorded this interview and I must admit, I'm sorry if I sound a little bit exhausted. I haven't slept a wing. (laughs) Um, But hopefully it's coming back negative. I'm currently in quarantine though.
0: Yeah, Izzy's powering through with, coffee and a lot of courage right now. <laughs> um, and passion and excitement. Yeah, for this <laughs> um, at least this was such a good interview that it's kind of given you the energy to go through. Um, I mm. am currently in my spring so I feel like I'm approaching summer so feeling good. Probably the best season you could be in as we enter a lockdown. You know I'm feeling optimistic. Mm. <laughs> so let's jump into the interview with Grace. Well first of all thank you so much for joining us. We are so happy to have you on. We want to start by asking you about your Twitter bio. We noticed that it reads advocate, optimist, runner, Tasmanian and undefeated crocodile wrestler. Um, so we'll obviously get into the advocacy stuff later, but we would love to know whether like your, you think your bio like pretty much sums you up and yeah. also the story behind undefeated crocodile wrestler.
2: <laughs> oh, well, you know, that's private. Um, I don't <laughs> want to elaborate on that. Um, you know, my, my past as a crocodile wrestler. Um, <laughs> between me and the crocodiles who <laughs> have wrestled. Um, we clearly haven't lived to tell the tale as I have. Um, <laughs> you don't see any bios on Twitter of crocodiles who have wrestled me. Um, <laughs> uh, that's clearly a joke. Um, so <laughs> things a little bit lighthearted, I suppose. I don't know. I think um, for a while, because I lived in the actually – This is where it comes from. Um, I lived in the U.S. on and off for the better part of seven years. And, um, uh, you know, America is a very interesting place um, and it's a very interesting culture. They've got very insular media. um, And as such, a lot of Americans, um, they're idea of australia those especially who haven't left the country um their idea of australia is literally crocodile dundee <laughs> it hasn't advanced past that they've got a very caricaturish caricaturish idea of what australians are like um and there's a lot of gullibility that you can sort of play with like you can spin it <laughs> one and they will eat it up
1: uh- <laughs> <laughs> you've got runner there as well uh yeah. it how
2: what is your relationship with running oh um my relationship with running is a very very complicated one actually um and there's a there's an element that's very relevant to this podcast because it's um it involves my my period um my yeah but uh to sort of start at the beginning which is a great place to start um isn't it um uh I was always running in primary school and, and through high school, um, I, you know, did cross country and whatnot and always performed pretty well, um, without a lot of training, just have a, you know, not so much a natural ability for running as like a a natural love of it. Um, I just like the, the feeling, the freedom, um, the connectedness, the, the ironic groundedness that comes from, um, you know, moving around um, you know on your own two feet um, in especially in in nature mm-hmm. um, but so when I was 15 obviously I mean I, for those who aren't at this stage familiar with my story um, I was groomed and, and repeatedly raped by my um, maths teacher who was a pedophile convicted pedophile um, and at that time I um, I was, you know, coming of age, going through puberty, hadn't actually had that many periods, maybe had only three or four um, because I was also anorexic, um, which, which took me out of running. Um, so, yeah, I ran, ran, up to, ran up to high school, ran up until I was about 12, then was really anorexic and uh, didn't, didn't run, couldn't run, wasn't allowed to run. I was um, hospitalised and then put on a program um, after I came out of hospital, after I was in there for six weeks. And I was on that program for a year. I couldn't exercise. Um, And then uh, relapsed. And and, and when I relapsed, I was able to exercise, but that that relapse coincided with the time that I was groomed um, by this pedophile. Um, And then actually lost my virginity in my sports uniform because it was the day of the Athletics Carnival, the high school Athletics Carnival when I was in grade 10. And um, that really affected my relationship with running. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there I was lying on my back on the floor and this man had quite violently raped me um, and he was then laughing Um, telling me that he couldn't believe how much cellulite he could see on all of the girls running up at the track. Um, And uh, my already very, very fragile, very, very troubled body image um, and relationship with running um, became even more complicated. And when I got back into it sort of years later, um, it's hard, you know, Because I I got so into it that I became elite, like I was training at an elite level for a couple of years. Um, And as such, there's this thing that happens, which is athletic amenorrhea, where you lose your periods. Um, And so (laughs) um, it got complicated again because then I lost my my period and um, Mm -hmm. uh, I very much had a child's body. Um, and this pedophile wanted me for my child's body and so I was like at odds because running gave me a child's body which reminded me of the pedophilia but it also freed me from and uh, I don't know so to answer that question my relationship with running is so odd but it's 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 positive you know mm-hmm. this is on a spectrum obviously and 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 the, the positivity outweighs the the negativity mm-hmm. in my mind um, and I, just, I can I can, I run despite that and it's my thing that mm. I haven't allowed this person to take away from me um, in the face of all those things.
1: Mm. Yeah. I think that's so, that's so powerful. When I first asked that question, you responded um, along the lines of it gives you freedom and grounding and I think it's just so incredible that you can take control of that story and, um, and have it as your own in, the, in a positive, in a way that serves you positively. And I feel like you've just done that so incredibly powerfully, just your whole story. You've, you've, you've taken control of it to make powerful social and legal change for other people. Um, and I'd love to know what um, what you want Australia to learn from um, from your experiences? Like what are you advocating for and what does that advocacy component of your Twitter bio mean?
2: Oh, well, there are two really clear goals that I have. Um, the first is structural change because that's what we need to influence culture. I mean, it both reinforces and drives culture. It's that, that's, that's that cycle. And currently our legislation is very lenient towards predators um, and therefore feeds into victim-blaming cultures and does not protect survivors. Um, and a perfect example is, is sort of the baseline of our legal system. Uh, you know, we have nine different jurisdictions and as such we've got nine different, very, very different definitions um, of consent, of sexual intercourse itself, um, of sexual assault itself, Um, of grooming. In fact, in some jurisdictions, grooming is not even defined at all. Um, And as well, we have different definitions of what constitutes a child and what constitutes the legal age to consent to sex. And as such, all that ambiguity completely undermines our ability to understand any of those things and therefore teach them properly. But also, back to the grooming issue, you know, that I mentioned before, that in some states isn't even defined. People just don't understand that. Um, And whether you term it as coercive control in the domestic violence space or, you know, gaslighting, blackmailing, um, you know, careful conditioning, however you want to term it, that's, that's the real evil. That's the real evil that underpins sex crimes and all these other forms of abuse of power. You know, racial injustice as well. Systemic racism. It's the same thing. It's abuse of power. I mean, it's not exactly the same thing, obviously, and I can't speak to that experience um, at all. But there's a common thread there, you know, that dynamic of there being a more powerful entity or individual that is abusing and capitalising on the vulnerability of another or a marginalised group. Um, so that's my my goal, is to get... Some kind of baseline because we also need to look at more specific legislation. For instance, like the paedophile that abused me, he was convicted back in 2011. Now, at the time in Tasmania, there was still um, uh, you know some archaic. There was still some archaic wording of certain charges. So, if he had been charged in any other state, he would have been charged with the persistent abuse of a child, which is adequate. It describes. The reality of what happened. But here in Tasmania, that same charge was called maintaining a sexual relationship with a person under the age of 17. Now, not only is that long winded and very convoluted, it softens that crime so much. And the word relationship has connotations of consent um, and person under the age of 17. I was 15, I was a child. So it's just, yeah, there's so many different examples. But really, it's the it's the psychological manipulation. People just don't understand that. The media is obsessed with like, oh, how gory, how bad was the rape, or how many times he hit you, how bad was the violence. And it's like, for years, sometimes, especially especially in domestic violence relationships, we hear of the just the insidious, um, you know, psychological abuse, and and that creates like. <laughs> totally rewires and your brain forges these different neural pathways that affect you for life, you know, and you don't see that. Um, and people, where people, a lot of people go wrong is thinking that life is this, um, you know, chronological set of, um, you know, binary events where, like, um, uh, you know, he's either abusing, or I shouldn't say he, I shouldn't put a gender to the, the perpetrator because it can be a man or a woman, Um uh just as a you know survivor or victim can be a man or a woman but you know people going oh um you know you're you're being abused and then it's over or you know you say no or you say yes it's not like that you know there's there's pros and cons there's costs and benefits to every decision that we make um and and yeah there's just so much gray area Mm. and that's
1: Can you outline that process of grooming? Because I know a lot of your efforts are around communicating that, so people can be aware yeah. and yeah, address it from there. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, it is. It's a really complicated process, which is part of the reason why it's um, you know being able to sort of um, or, or it's 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 complication. Um, oh, sorry, its complexity is, is, is much of the reason why, why predators are, have been able to get away with it for so long. Um, but it can be distilled, it can be simplified because um, it happens over six main concurrent phases. The first is targeting, um, which is just identifying a particularly vulnerable individual. So obviously children are um, prime candidates because by nature they are vulnerable. You know, the definition of innocence is when you're a child, you don't know that you're a child, you aren't aware um, in the same way that an, an adult with like a wealth of life experience and knowledge has um, or is. Um, the, the second is gaining trust. So that just refers to um, developing a, a friendship with, or, or, you know, it's not really a friendship, but but falsely um, uh, providing, you know, the support of, of, of a friend-like figure so as to lull the target into a, a false sense of security uh, and safety. Um, and the third is particularly calculated because that it's called filling a need um, and that, that's the process by which a predator identifies a specific need um, or specific gap in a person's emotional support uh, and then plays the role that fills that gap. So in my case, I was very much surrounded by love. Um, I'm very fortunate. I come from a family who've always had my back. Um, But at the time, you know, being 15, when you're naturally at odds with your parents and also Um, being anorexic, which put even more pressure on the relationships. A lot of the love I was receiving was in the form of tough love. So what this pedophile did was assume the role of sympathiser and put me on a pedestal and tell me everything that he thought that I wanted to hear, Um, especially like a teenage girl who's very vulnerable, wanted to hear things like, you know, you're beautiful, you don't need your family, you can beat your illness on your own. Um, You know, And my mother was actually pregnant at the time of the grooming and, you know, he would say... It would undermine her um, and and that sort of feeds into this fourth phase which is the isolation phase um, and that involves driving further wedges between the target and their um, already tenuous relationships. Um, the fifth is the sexualization and that happens gradually um, throughout um, and that re- involves the sort of very, again, calculated careful exposure of sexual content so as to normalise it so that when it actually happens, when the, when the physical abuse is actually introduced, you as the target upon reflection begin to question whether or not it was there all along and therefore whether the onus was on you to stop it, which feeds into that self-doubt and the self-blame and the guilt, mm-hmm. um, which leads into the next phase, which is maintaining control. And that is um, the way in which a predator strikes a perfect balance between being the person who causes harm and pain but also being the provider of relief from that pain. Um, Again, trapping you in this cognitive dissonance where you're constantly questioning yourself, terrified of questioning this person who's also then nice to you, which makes you feel guilt at the thought of standing up to them, so on and so forth and you can start to see like that's a that's that's a very similar dynamic that we hear about in domestic violence you know um because it it isn't often all just bad you know it's not it's not like you know someone in a relationship is coming home and just getting beaten to within an inch of their life and that's all that happens in the relationship you know there's well there's love there um you know i'm not saying that in my case there was there was there was love but it certainly wasn't um, it certainly wasn't black and white like that you know I was I was in I was in need of um, undivided attention um, my parents again love me dearly I love them very dearly that's never been a question but they were divorced by the time I was two. And to this day, I'm a 26-year-old. I've never spent more than one year in the one house in my life. I've never had a home base that I've really felt like this is here where I am forever. I can attach to this. And nor did I attach to either of my parents. I didn't have that caregiver um, attachment. I wasn't attuned um, in that way that like babies are with their parents um, because I was constantly feeling like I was being given up. Um, mm. And so... Um, this this predator. I, I mean, he was a he was also a serial offender. I was his last victim. Um, you know, he was at the school since 1993 or four. Um, and I've spoken to I've spoken to other victims of his that he, that, that, that were that were before me. Um, and he also used to boast to me um, about one particular one. So so I knew. So he, so he was aware of all these things. Um, he was aware that that's what happens. Is that you know it's they they call it Stockholm syndrome actually, where you do sort of not necessarily fall in love. Like I certainly didn't fall in love with this man, but there was this attachment to my captor, um, where I was solely dependent on him for my self esteem and my my perception um, because. That's also what they do. They destroy your trust in yourself because they because you're questioning yourself so much. You, you just don't you don't know anything, you know. And, and anyway, mm. I can keep talking about it for a long time. <laughs> it's um, just
1: it just it sounds like total evil manipulation and calculated and it, conscious. It's
2: yes, total so calculated, total evil manipulation. Again, predators know that that that's what happens. They know that. They know that you, with a conscience, feel guilt, and um, you know that that that, yeah, you'll turn in against yourself and do the work, do
0: a lot of the work for them in the end. Mm. In that position, you just you wouldn't feel like you can talk to anyone around you. But then, because the very the very the, the very. Reason you got into
2: the abuse in the first place was by being vulnerable, right? Yeah, exactly. you trust in somebody else.
0: Yeah, and like, I think so. you Have it destroyed,
2: and then people go, "Oh, why didn't you just tell anybody? Why didn't you tell somebody else? Why didn't, you, why didn't you?" I mean, I did in the end. I actually, I did. Yeah, um, but it took it took time. I had to figure out a way to do it where I could guarantee that the cost was not greater me and to my family than what was already happening.
0: Mm. It's just incredible that you you got to a point though where you could you could speak up and you could try and um, change what was happening to you. But then you had that second roadblock in the way of the Tasmanian gag law. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but can you just explain? That. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I I can imagine there were so many. But mm-hmm. could you just explain um, what that? is and how that affected you oh goodness me um well I
2: really got uh, we, we arrived at that roadblock again after several others several other examples of, of sort of the systemic injustice which are all part of that feed into the, the this bigger picture of abuse of power and how predators sort of are disproportionately. Um, uh, enabled as opposed to people trying to um, repair themselves or people who had survived this. Because um, that, that first roadblock was when, in 2015, um, after he was released from prison uh, on good behaviour after serving only two years... And, no, 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 he was sentenced to two years and ten months and he served a year and nine months... Um, for the crimes of maintaining a sexual relationship with a person under the age of 17 and also for the possession of 28 multimedia files of child exploitation material, which they found on his computer, including a trophy file of his other girls, topless. Um, So he was released from prison on good behaviour. He was awarded a federally funded PhD scholarship to the only university in my home state. Um, While my mother was studying there, my mother, who didn't have the opportunity to do so growing up because she comes from a working class background, they had nothing, um, couldn't afford, couldn't afford to go to school. Um, So she was finally there as a mature age student and had to drop out um, eventually because of just the situation um, and various Mm. complications pertaining to to his presence on campus. He was even initially put into student accommodation with fresh 17 and 18 year old undergraduates um, due to a "Quote unquote system error," apparently. Um, uh, but then he was he was then moved to like out of this particular college that he was put into, and he was put into other student accommodation that the university, um, you know, were happy to, to happy to put him up. Um, and while he was studying, he went on Facebook and got in an argument with somebody who brought up his past. They, they they referred to an article um, and, and I think they called him a pedophile and he um, responded by boasting um, about what he did he you know said it was awesome and enviable that he got a he got to do what he did to a 15 year old child um, so there was that element as well so there were all these things that were mounting these mounting injustices that were contributing to what was already a, you know, a driving force in in me, you know, that that, that drove me to report in the first place, um, you know, which was this want to educate others. Um, and so then naturally after I connected with Nina Fennell, um, who's a groundbreaking journalist, she's based in New South Wales um, and she's done a lot of work in um, exposing you know, the, the, the evils pertaining to sexual assault. Um, when I connected with her and we worked for months, actually, um, I was recounting all of the trauma, therefore reliving a lot of it because um, I was still only, you know, in my early 20s then and, and not had not had a lot of time since. Wasn't really... Are you really adult, an adult when you're in your early 20s? Um like, I can say no as one. <laughs> can we really call ourselves adults now? I don't. But um, so, yeah, no, we spent months recounting all these details and then Nina came across this law in Tasmania um, and it was Section 194K of Tasmania's Evidence Act, which stipulated that survivors of child sexual abuse cannot or could not... Um, self-identify in the media, even with their consent and even after they turned 18. So it was legal silence and yet there were no restrictions or there are no restrictions of this kind that are put on predators. They can say whatever they want and and as evidenced, they do. They do because that's part of their characteristic behaviour is that they are manipulative and control the narrative at every turn, at every opportunity they're given, and I mean, before so so before I was able to speak publicly because I eventually got um, an exemption to this um, law. So there was the campaign in of itself that that Nina started um, using my case as the foundation because we'd already done so much work together, and then she found other examples of of you know just how unjust. Um, all this sort of stuff is. So other survivors lent their stories as well. Um, but I was eventually granted an exemption in 2019. And um, but before that, I think it was in 2017, this pedophile did a 17 minute interview with a commentator whose name I don't like to put out into the air uh, (laughs) because I don't believe she's deserving of time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in which they laughed about crimes against children, including rape. And, I don't even know how to respond to that because. And she, I mean, she also gave him the opportunity to explain away why he had child exploitation material on his computer. And he sat there and he laughed and he said that he downloaded an illegal font. And all of a sudden, all these images of children being exploited were all over his computer. Wait, an illegal font? Uh, Just happened to be a pedophile. Oh,
1: God. (laughs) I mean, that completely just
2: speaks to
1: this corrupt culture that. No, it is.
2: It's this corrupt culture that just like. People ex- constantly excusing mm. this evil behavior. And being excused, ah, which and it sets up a pattern. It just emboldens predators.
1: Mm. What do what What are some of the factors that you think have led to this sort of corruption in our culture? How have we even got yeah, to this it, place?
2: It has a lot to do with you know that that the, the age old, still ongo- ongoing. Um, you know, battle for equality. Mm. I think there's that. You know, I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking because I've never, um, I've never like publicly referred to myself categorically as a feminist, not because I'm not a feminist. I believe we all should be feminists. It's innate. Um, you know, I also come from a family of, of strong, leading women. My mom is the youngest of five girls and when she was born, the eldest was still five years old. So they're close in age. Wow. Raised by um, my nan and her nan. So there's seven girls in this household. Um, I won't talk about my my grandfather because he wasn't really around even when um, he was before even before he left. Um, But anyway, so I was just always surrounded by women, um, and it was never a question for me. Um, Like I wasn't I wasn't cognizant of that division. Um, until mm. you know, I, I got to to school really, um, and and sort of learned of the the history um, of, mm. of quality and this darkness, um, and then of course that darkness um, in, enveloped my own personal world. Mm. Um, I, I
1: I really relate to that. I am from a family of strong women figures as well, and I am. Um, I never, I, I think it came as a huge surprise. I, I never thought that my gender would stop me from doing anything or have me yeah. treated differently.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. And
1: then as, and,
2: yeah.
1: And then as you start learning more and more about history, there are these, yeah, patterns that emerge. And as you said, power dynamics that, um, that shift different genders and groups of people, demographics into different places in which some are more vulnerable than others. It's so complicated.
2: Yeah, and I like. I also realise that my experience is steeped in that in that privilege that's born of so mm-hmm. much work that um, women have done in this space to, to to make considerable progress in in certain parts of the world. You know, we're very very lucky in Australia. Um, there is still work to do, but we're very very lucky in our culture that it is so progressive. Um, mm-hmm. Because a lot of the parts of the world, it's it's not the case. Mm. Um,
0: but
2: but but yeah, I think it has a lot to do with it. I think it. I think that age-old battle that's that's still going on has a lot to do with it because it is. It's about abuse of, of power, um, you know. And there's also this factor that, that that can't be ignored, and that's the you know sort of predetermined biology. Men are on average bigger, stronger than women. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, that's why we see predators are more often than not men, um, and su- and survivors are sort of yeah
0: more often than not women. Yeah, they're almost trying to capitalize on on this division on these differences.
2: Yeah, but it's not the case. I mean. The thing is, you know, my some of my best friends are male survivors of clergy abuse. Middle aged men, too, you know. And I, my my first disclosure, my initial disclosure, I chose to disclose to another male teacher, you know, albeit a proudly gay man. Mm. Um, I was quite confident mm. was not interested in me, mm. <laughs> yeah. but one who nevertheless, was a like a big guy. He was a big, big man, mm. and and um it. Um, I'm sure that there would be people who would think that you know I was again it was part of my privilege or, or ignorance that's born of my privilege that, that that would you know that I can be like oh it's fine, well, it's, it's fine. I, I'm not I'm not naive I'm not mm. dumb I'm not mm. you know but it isn't it isn't a battle of the sexes and and it's predators who capitalize on that division because then we're mm-hmm. just pointing at each other um, mm. and and that would just Sit there, you know, run their hands. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, great. You know, you just keep fighting once you are
1: going yeah. Well, we've seen that happen a lot this year uh, with what's happening in politics. That, oh, the government that are great. Government and...
2: are great at it. The government are great at it. Mm-hmm. That's that's what that's what they want. They want us to get angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 they get they want us to get so angry. In fact, that we are blinded by our anger. Mm. Um, and confused. By that blindness, and miss the point. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: We've just touched on some huge complications and corruptions within our culture um, that has let this these huge issues blossom, um, and it can feel very dark and hopeless. But I know from what you've said in the past that um, you are confident that the antidote to these injustices is love,
2: um, yeah, sure. and. I believe in love I, and supremacy.
1: Yeah, and I think that is incredible because because the power of love is such a cliche sort of phrase, and it loses its meaning sometimes to 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 us in an everyday sort of sense. Um, but what what role do you think love plays in our effort to fight against our culture's very real and damaging issue of sexual assault? Well,
2: yeah, it's love and it's 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 connection. Um, what what role do I see it playing? It's it's the leader, it's the guide, it's um, it's everything really. And again, like you sort of said, it's it can lose its meaning, it can sound trite and wishy washy. But fuck it, you know, if that's all that's wrong with love, then yeah. <laughs> I'll have more of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, give us the track. <laughs> that, I'll, take, I'll take that any day. I'll take it. Version of life over the alternative any day. Yeah,
1: mm. I so agree. And um, um, I was like, I'm
2: just making some breakfast at the same time. Oh, that's we, we love a good
1: multitasker. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a um,
2: thing. No. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, Grace, I was fortunate to meet you at the Day Awards ceremony at the start of this year. Um, and also met your amazing partner, Max. Yes. Um, and Max is just amazing. And he's been in contact with us about organising this podcast. And it's so clear that you guys are such a huge pillar of support for one another. Yeah. Um, how do you think family and partners can best support a sexual assault survivor? That's a huge role. Um, and, and it sounds like your family and Max have been so in tune um do you have i mean tips makes it sounds so um so much less than what it is but
2: um it's really about listening and remaining open at all costs you know um this this shit's hard you know both disclosure and receiving disclosure um you know and there's no there's no real guidebook on like what's the perfect 100% absolutely airtight way to respond or deal with this, Um, you know, because sometimes you don't know what to say, Um, and that's okay. Um, Mm. It's about intention. It's about having the intention of wanting to help Um, and, and sort of saying things like, even if you don't know how to help, like saying that and saying, I don't know how to help, but I will try. And I will work with you so that we're at least in solidarity in our not knowing what to do, mm-hmm. um, and then that—that that I think naturally, inevitably, produces um, results, and mm-hmm. you, you get there because then you, yeah, you forge that connection, and and then it's about then moving to the next connection, um, and just just remembering that the whole of life not just these sorts of things is hard but that it's also a work in progress and that mistakes will be made in the discussion in the work that needs to be done I mean I make mistakes all the time um uh, you know but that's like that's not the that's not the end of things like Mm yeah sometimes know. it's mm. almost
0: best to put your hands up and say I have no idea what I'm doing
2: yeah, yeah exactly it's mm. better to admit fault than look like an absolute dick pretending when you don't when you don't know something it's not that that doesn't translate to to a, to a general lack of intelligence that's just like a specific area that you need work on and we all have areas we mm. need to work on
0: mm. Mm. grace just before um you were speaking about your period and and losing it when you were young um could you speak a bit to uh your relationship with your period now um and yeah you know whether it's yep. maybe back or yep. yeah yeah okay.
2: okay all right we're doing this um <laughs> <laughs> okay. It here. okay um it's funny okay so as I sort of Touched on before, um, and again, I apologise for the sort of tangential nature of um, my discussion of these things. You know, trauma chops things up in my brain; like it'll it'll chop a sentence in half um, in the middle of me speaking it. And this is an area that's sort of kind of new, a new sort of relate, new, new realization of this aspect of my sexual abuse trauma. Um, so. Yeah, I lost. I hadn't got my period. I think my first my first period was at fourteen, um, and then I lost it to anorexia. Um, I think I had maybe two, and then lost it to anorexia, and and then um, was hospitalised um, at, at fourteen, um, and then uh, put on the pill without my consent. Um, in hospital, uh, to try to get it back. Um, and I was on the pill for that better part of that year. I think I can't actually remember how long I was on the pill for, I think it might've been until I was 15. And I think I might've had only, um, again, like three or four, um, like regular periods um, and then I turned 15 and relapsed, um, and that relapse coincided with the beginning of the grooming. Um, and then a few months later, um, the pedophile began to rape me, um, and then, um, I, I, was getting my periods because it was also, I was also put back on a program where my eating was um, monitored. So by default I got healthy enough to have periods, um, but I was being abused. And this pedophile saw my periods as an opportunity to rape me incessantly during these six-week periods because it meant he didn't have to wear a condom and that was more pleasurable for him. So, and he would not really do much. It's not like, you know, you're in a relationship because, like, oh, now I'm in a healthy relationship and I have sex during my period. That's fine. Um, you know, because, you know, you, your horn ears all get out and, you, you, <laughs> what you love and whatever, and it's very frustrating. You don't care about the period. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you can buy new bed sheets, whatever. <laughs> but I'm talking about, like, ex- what was already incredibly painful rape, the majority of which were on the floor of this pedophile's office Um, I was invariably on my back um, and he would just put a towel down on the floor. Jeez. And so my association with my period for the longest time was the feeling of that time of being raped, which is still to this day – the most painful thing I've experienced both mentally and physically. And I'm someone who has, you know, four inch burns on the backs of both of my calves from an iron fire pit. You know, like that was the worst pain I've ever experienced. So I'd look down at my legs after he'd be finished with me and I would be covered in my own blood and I'd, didn't want to see, see that for a long time, um, and then I was on. Then I moved it because because then after after the abuse, I eventually I think I went back on the pill. I don't know a lot of the a lot of the the, 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 the initial actually few years after the abuse stopped are probably the most blurry mm-hmm. um, in my mind. Um, and then I moved to the states when I was just eighteen, and before I moved to the states, I went on the implant on. Um, and that got rid of my period so that was in my arm for like three years and I think I might have done that twice um and so there was like yeah again over the six years where I didn't get my period that I went off that um and didn't have any birth control um but it got, again I got back into running and I was training at this elite level and then the, my period stopped for two years and I only just got back, them back in March of this year
0: well congratulations <laughs> though the, the, <laughs>
2: It sounds really creepy, but I remember because um, I you mentioned it. it. National Women's Day because I was like, well, fuck it. Like, it was literally like... I mean, that would have had a lot of
1: mixed emotions attached to it because periods... Fuck, rep- I,
2: yeah, because it was like, you know, being thrust onto this platform as Australian of the Year, um, you know, with no expectation, no idea of how these things roll and just being under this intense public scrutiny while still processing a lot of this trauma again Mm. i've only been an adult for a very long time um and and although i may appear to be for the most part of you know a light-hearted person who's easygoing and is managing this um which you know in, in in many ways i am there's still aspects of it that i don't understand um you know I'm still very young um Mm. and I'm I'm disgustingly unqualified I haven't been to I don't have a university education or anything like that you know like I've Mm. I haven't studied um you know psychology I haven't studied like I'm not a therapist I don't 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 know the ins and outs of Mm. these things like I've I've read a lot and 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 I know what I know from just living um Mm. but yeah like it's been rough. And then to throw this period in there mm. at the beginning of International Women's Day, which is arguably and and, and be the same for years, but after winning Young Australian of the Year, um, as a woman. Mm. Mm. It's like Christmas <laughs> yes. for retailers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Christmas for retailers. It was just like, and here's your period which you associate yes. with the darkest depths of your entire life.
1: Mm. Yeah. That. <laughs> Holy crap! How do you how do you how are you meant to navigate that? Because obviously now you're see, in. A, see,
2: for me, my answer is just fucking talk about it. Just be open. Yeah. I yes. don't care. Mm-hmm. If the, you know, governor of the country is who wasn't actually. What's his name? governor um, general.
1: Yeah, the governor general and his wife, who loves to sing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. And and that's that's exactly what we're all on about. At Taboo as well, starting the conversation, and it's it's interesting talking between uh, people who are advocating for different social issues that are stigmatized. It's in, it's incredible to to witness the power of conversation. Like it, it's so underrated.
2: Oh yeah, and that's where because that's where it starts. Conversation is the foundation of education. Like I was talking about before, you know, like, clearly I don't, I, I'm not very well educated. I don't have pieces of paper that say that I have degrees in what's this and that. But the conversations that I've had throughout my life and in various travels have taught me so much, um, you know, and that's where we can start to, again, understand things like psychological manipulation because we can hear examples. Mm. Of, we can, we can, we can that, that anecdotal evidence from experience that people have of all these different Social justice issues is is like Mm. it has these, you know, unique insights.
1: Mm. Oh, absolutely! And like even even our ancestors for the last thousands and thousands of years, education has been passing down of stories and sharing of experiences. Yeah, our
2: first nations cultures. mm. There's we've so much to learn from them. I mean, Miriam Rose was talking about in her speech.
1: so after school, you moved to the US to study theatre arts and liberal arts. Is that right?
2: That is correct. Um,
1: yeah. At Santa Barbara City Santa Barbara. College. Yep. We are aware that a lot of our listeners and Taboo's audience are uni students, yep. um, and it can be a pretty unsettling time when you're not exactly sure how you see your life unfolding, and but you're learning a lot about yourself along the way. And um, why did you choose to move overseas? And how do you remember that sort of phase of your life? Was it about learning more about yourself and what you wanted to do in the next years or just Um, making different connections?
2: Yeah. So I had a positive association with Santa Barbara. I'd gone, I'd been to Santa Barbara, um, as a 13 year old. Um, and it really was about getting out of the environment that I was in. That was what drove it. Um, because Tasmania, Hobart specifically, very small town, um, and just constant, constant physical um, and mental triggers everywhere mm. that I went, um, and I just, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't be here, um, and so I was very fortunate to be amongst. Um, uh, some survivors of 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 child sexual abuse who were awarded compensation, and I that I turned that I decided to turn that into an opportunity for for moving overseas and and um, going to a community college. Granted, it was a community college, not like a you know one of those um, state universities in California that cost an arm and a foot. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what really drove it, I suppose. Okay, um,
1: and and. Obviously, now you've had this incredible year that, um, you mentioned you weren't expecting. Um, obviously, with Australian of the Year, but I've since seen that you've you've also been um, the subject of a portrait that's been uh, submitted for an Archibald Prize for twenty twenty one. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Not that doesn't happen every day.
2: No, all of this stuff is very surreal. I I yeah. still don't can't get my head around it. You know, I just. I'm still walking around woolies in my pajamas. (laughs) Mind my my, my, my own business being the oblivious um, little weird unit that I am. (laughs) Uh, and you know, my 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 world has always been very family centric. Like I said, you know, come from a very like strong family of women, but also like Max and and, now his family who I've become a part of and who are part of mine now. Like that's, that's, that's my world, you know, that's how you stay grounded is those constants um, in, in your life and, and the, um, as well like just being in touch, keeping in touch with simple values, nature, going for walks in, in the wild, you know, um, our, beautiful, our beautiful land that, that we are fortunate to live on, um, getting into the ocean, going for the that sort of stuff. It's all uh, very underrated. You know, we, ha- we think all these mm. things are very complicated and, um, you know, these, these solutions are far out of our reach when, when in reality they're not.
1: And it's crazy to see that because well, you we, we were also on the, the cover of um, Marie Claire as the first non-celebrity. I don't really know what that means,
2: but... Um, <laughs> right is that that's it that's it sounded like a bit of a backhanded so. that's what that's that's what i thought when i read it. i was like how, how do you even
1: define a celebrity and what actually is that and i think a lot of people would argue that you you have been flung to celebrity status this year um, and it's crazy to, but it's crazy to just that your day-to-day is just living your life and you're a completely normal human that has this pressure I guess put on you from this outside perception of what celebrity means. Yeah, I guess well, I can imagine it's for real.
2: Yeah, celebrities and non celebrities alike. I mean, I can't I, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that I was a celebrity by any stretch. I really like I've worked with when I was in LA, I worked with some of the biggest celebrities, arguably, in the world. You know, John Cleese, I toured with him a couple of times, and so he's a celebrity. You know, that's he can do anything and you know. It doesn't seem to matter. Um, mm-hmm. I, I certainly wouldn't put myself in that category. But even still, he's a human being as well. He's you know he's a weird old man who eats peanut butter with a fork because he thinks it's more elegant. You know, <laughs> normal doing. Oh,
1: humans are so funny. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. We all we're all you know we all have that core, that common core. Of humanity of, of 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 creatures who need to be loved, who are looking for love, um, you know, even if that's not, you know, if even if even if we're not consciously aware that that's what's driving our behaviour, you know, I think that's where it, where even evil comes from, maybe, you know, is 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 the desperation for love, um, you know, that maybe isn't there.
0: I just find it really interesting how both you and Izzy have commented in the past that your goal is that you no longer need your roles you know you no longer need advocates for sexual assault you no longer no longer need people fighting to end period poverty um and for you Grace you know you you've been an artist a yoga teacher amongst I'm sure a plethora of other things um but if you could wake up tomorrow and your role was no longer needed what would your dream next step be?
2: Be Being a mum. Oh, that's Raised beautiful! Raised family. Friends. That's it. That's yeah. the ultimate. That's the ultimate. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself doing that in the next couple of years? Or, Yep. Yeah. In fact, I went
2: mm. to Ready Bank Private just last week to upgrade my coverage. Oh, so that that's amazing. Now,
0: yeah. That's
1: stop awesome. it.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's such a wholesome goal. That's I love so- that. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's so that's so special. Congrats! That's a really really exciting next step.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Like that to me is mm-hmm. the ultimate, you know. Well,
0: Where that I- was our final question. That's Yay! it. Thank you so much. That was just, that was beautiful. That, uh, yeah, I just loved every part of that. And thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your story. That was beautiful. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, thank you. Right. It goes a long way. So, you know, mm. great privilege. We, we're all very privileged women to be able to do this. Um, especially so openly,
1: you know. You're so right. And it's a privilege to be in your kitchen eating brekkie with you. (laughs) (laughs) What are you making, by the way? That looks like pancakes or something.
2: No, I made quinoa flakes. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's like like porridge, but um, oats have gluten in them and I tend to avoid, I say avoid um, because I'm not like celiac or anything like that, but I just find that like really over-processed food doesn't doesn't mm. help with my trauma management. I just try to self, self-medicate self with, like, good, clean food. Mm. Mm. And which a great alternative to porridge because um, oats have gluten in them, Reportedly. <laughs> mm.
1: Well, enjoy it. Yeah, enjoy and, your and breakfast. <laughs> thank you. All. Thank you so, so much for your time.
2: No worries. Thanks for having me on. And I do oh, very much to it actually probably catching up with you guys um when we do eventually get to adelaide at some point
0: 100% absolutely thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of the flow by taboo period products please leave a review of our podcast give us a rating hopefully 5 stars and share it with your friends follow us at taboo period products on instagram and facebook we will be posting stories and question boxes on the topics we discussed today so head over to our instagram and join the conversation We'll be back in your ears again next Wednesday, but in the meantime, enjoy your flow.